All right, take your Bibles tonight, open up to Revelation chapter 2 and Revelation 3. The title of the message tonight is this, Does God Have Our Ear? Now, we'll see this repeated um, in the book of Revelation uh, at least seven times, um, what the Lord says to the churches. So in Revelation chapter 2, we begin with um, the church uh, at Ephesus. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience, and how thou cannot bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not and has found them liars, and has borne and has patience, and for my name's sake has labored and not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent." But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. And here's where we get the title for our sermon. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Now, Revelation can come across as a mysterious book, all right, and there's a lot of figurative language in this particular book. Now, uh, the book can be outlined here at the beginning um, in chapter one, uh, the things which have been, the things which are, and the things that will be, and that can be the outline for the book of Revelation, um, but then... What are the, the seven stars or the candlesticks that are there? So let's go down to verse 19 and 20. Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. So that's a simple three-point outline for the book of Revelation. Then verse 20. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. So that takes some of the mystery out of the language that is used here in chapter 2 when it's referring to, I will remove thy candlestick. What God is saying is, I'll take away your church. Um, and to the angel or the, that's the pastor, the, the messenger. Uh, that's the basic idea behind an angel is to be a messenger for God. And the, this is written to the pastor to share with the people. Now, the seven churches of Asia Minor are uh, in the modern-day country of Turkey. And you can go and you can actually see their ruins. And fortunately, the church in Ephesus... Uh, did not take the admonition that the Lord has given to them 
And there's not a Christian, at least a few years ago, there was not even a Christian that could be found in the area around the ancient church of Ephesus. So tonight, as we continue our series, 12 Messages to Help the Church Thrive, I would like to ask this question, does God have our ear? He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. All right, a little bit uh, more here on some explanation for the book of Revelation. There are are different ways to look at it uh, in Christianity. There are those people who look at the book of Revelation and say, well, everything that's there has already happened. It's already been fulfilled. Um, Then another viewpoint is, well, you really can't know anything from the book of Revelation because the language is so figurative, so symbolic, so mysterious. Um, So it's just a symbolical book. It really shouldn't be counted on for anything too serious in in the Christian life. Um, Certain people then say, well, we just can't explain it. Uh, John Calvin, um, when he looked at the book of Revelation, it's the only book in the Bible he didn't write commentary notes on, right? Because he just said, I can't do it. Well, okay. Um, But then the third view is this, is that there is a definite message in the book of Revelation. We will be blessed if we know what that message is. The simple outline of the book is the things which have been, the things which are right now, and the things that will be. So chapter 1 talks about the death, the burial, and the resurrection and ascension of Jesus, and that he appears to um, the Apostle John and tells him who he was and what had happened to him. He was the lamb that was slain, but he's alive forevermore. Then he begins in chapter 2 and chapter 3 to talk to the churches and tell them this is what is right now. This is what it's like right now. And then beginning in chapter 4 to the end of the book, the future, the things that will be in the future. And so we would look at this and, and teach that the things in the book of Revelation yet remain to be fulfilled. Uh, We don't have a fulfillment of Revelation uh, chapter 18 and 19 where the Lord Jesus Christ has returned. That remains yet in the future. And so we say that there are things that need to be taken care of yet in the future. Now, tonight, each church must listen to the Spirit. Uh, Another viewpoint on this, when we come to chapter 2 and chapter 3, some people say the seven churches are seven epics of church history, and that we are in the Laodicean age, church age. Um, I don't agree with that, because the Lord doesn't tell us that there's going to be different stages of church history, all right? what I believe is the best way to look at this, if you have an ear to hear what the Spirit says to the churches, a local church could be any one of these seven churches, maybe even a combination of some of these churches. And so we need to look at the message that God is giving to each church 
and then make an evaluation of where we are as a church concerning our past, concerning our present, concerning our future, and the blessing that it is to have a local church. So let's look here uh, just at a couple of things. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. Matthew 16, verse 18. All right, when I hear the pages turning, I'm always very happy because I know that you're bringing your own copy of the scriptures. And so when I don't hear them turning anymore, I take a stab at reading the verse. What would I do if you all were looking it up digitally on your phones? I don't know. <laughs> okay. Matthew 16, 18. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So, the church is the church victorious. The church is the church triumphant. The church, as far as Jesus Christ has designed it, is an eternal body. It's an eternal, if you will, organization. It won't be defeated. It won't be destroyed. All right? So keep that in mind. And now let's go back to Revelation chapter 2 and let's look at verse 5. Revelation chapter 2, verse 5, we have here, Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works. Or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. So there was something wrong in the church at Ephesus. Um, God identifies it. They have left their first love. They uh, didn't lose their first love. They left their first love. So it's something that they can go back to. And they need to repent. And if they repent and return the way that God has told them to return, then there's going to be blessing. But if they don't repent, then he's going to remove their local church. So a local church can die. It can be removed. It can vanish and go away. Um, current statistics um, say that 1% to 2% of American churches are closing every year. So that is anywhere from 3,800 to 7,000 churches closing a year. 75 to 150 congregations closing each week. So do you think that it's important for American churches to listen to what the Holy Spirit is sharing with them? Yes, we must listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, I have been uh, reading a book which, uh, I'll be honest with you, as I read the chapter this week, I was very skeptical of the chapter. Um, and I, I understand where the author is coming from because of that very kind of statistic that I just quoted. But um, he was saying that 
you can do an autopsy on a church, and many of the churches you find out in that autopsy, the reason why they died is because the past was the hero, and they could never get over the past. It was always the good old days. Now, I get that. I understand that. But what if what was done in the past is what needs to be done in the present, and it needs to continue in the future? And so this is what God tells the church here at Ephesus. All right? So let's look at this again. Um, Verse 5, remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen. Now, the word remember is a present active imperative verb. Do that right now. Make your bed. All right? Um, So, remember this. Do this right now. I want you to remember your past. Now, from whence thou art fallen... All right, this is uh, a verb that is a state of completion. They're down in the valley. They need to look up to the top of the cliff where they were and say, hey, I need to get back there. All right, need to figure that out. How do I get back to where I was? Uh, Perhaps there has been a time in your life where you read the scriptures and you're not anymore. Well, remember that, reading the scriptures. Perhaps there's a time when we were fervent in our prayer life as an individual and as a church. And if we're not, we need to remember the answers to prayer and the dependency and the trust upon God. And we need to get back to being what we need to be. Loving our Lord. Um, Whatever it is in in a local church. That was the good old days. If they were the good old days, what were they doing that was right? And it was love for the Lord. Well, get back to that love for the Lord. Remember your past. And so we're exhorted to remember our past. Um, We're exhorted here to be mindful of it, uh, to constantly be in a state of evaluation. I think that's what the Lord is trying to teach this church in Ephesus and the other six churches. Be in a constant state of evaluation. So as I was reading through um, the autopsy of a deceased church on the particular uh, chapter, the the past is the hero, um, I thought of it a little bit differently. I thought, well, it's not necessarily wrong to have a great past, especially if what they were doing, it was biblically correct. We need to get back to that. So, I think a better way to look at it is, are we a self-amending church? Are we evaluating, or are we just going through the motions? We just can't coast upon past successes. We must have something beyond that. And so, there's nothing wrong with going back and remembering those, especially if that's where we need to be. And so this is where the church of Ephesus needed to be, all right? What were some of the things that were right about them? Well, here's what was right. God knew their works and their labor and their patience. He knew that they could not tolerate uh, those which were evil. They had discernment, verse 2. They tried them which say they're apostles and are not. 
and has found them out to be liars? Hey, I think that's an area where a lot of churches today need discernment. Because there's, there's always new teaching that comes in. Um, in the 25 years that I've been a pastor, um, there's been this, you know, it's like clothing. It becomes fashion statements, all right? How many of you had ever heard of multi-sensory worship? You heard of that? All right. So that in every service, you're supposed to touch the, those that attend in the congregation with each one of the senses. So you need to have, have some kind of an incense burning or something when they walk in the door that they have a pleasant smell, right? That they can remember that. Uh, something that they can touch, something that they can see. So there's a lot of flashing of images. And, and then there's uh, something that they hear other than the Word of God. And so multi-sensory worship was a craze. And churches went through that. Uh, how many of you heard of this thing called the emergent church. Have you ever heard of that? Okay, a few have heard of that, okay? And so the emergent church is just throw away everything in the past. Get rid of it and try to start something new. And um, so the emergent church uh, has McDonald's in it on Sunday morning. The emergent church has Starbucks coffee. The emerging church does this. And it really conforms and it meets the needs of society. Well, <clears throat> whatever happened to the gospel? That's a question that I think we all need to ask. And so there's a lot of things that just are not sound models for doing gospel ministry. Uh, some of the other things that they had done that, that was right, okay? They had borne and has patience. So they were bearing up under the burdens for his name's sake in their labors, and they hadn't fainted, all right? They, they hadn't given up. They hadn't quit. They were still going at it, all right? But, verse 4, the one thing that Christ comes to them and says through the Spirit is they had left their first love. Now, what's coming up? Is it the second now or the third week in February? What big sporting event? Super Bowl. I know a lot of churches that are closing their doors so people can stay home and watch the Super Bowl. I do have a problem with that. That, that tweaks me. Where is our love for God in making Sunday His day? That, that tweaks me. That gets underneath my skin. I don't think I can ever go there. Alright? And... Um, there will be a lot of Christians who will stay home on Super Bowl Sunday. You know, when I was about 11 years old, I tried that. And um, I got scared so bad that I never wanted to do that again. We had gone to Kankakee, Illinois to visit my brother-in-law and my sister. And um, this was the Cowboys versus the Steelers. I think this was 1979. And um, so I knew that that was Super Bowl Sunday. And so I went to church with them on Sunday morning, but then Sunday afternoon. <coughs> oh, mom and dad, you know, sis, I'm not feeling so well. Maybe I shouldn't go to church. 
I really wanted to watch that Super Bowl. Well, they all went to church, and I had a great time in the first half. And then I was looking at the watch and looking at the time, and I thought, well, they'll be back pretty soon. You know? Well, maybe they're just standing around having some fellowship at church. wonder what's going on. What's taking them so long? Man alive, did I have myself worked up into hysteria about 8.30 at night. They hadn't come back yet. And I thought the rapture had happened. Okay. I was terrified. And uh, they had gone out to the Olive Garden. All right. So I missed out. <laughs> okay. I mean, buttery breadsticks. Uh, I would take those over the Super Bowl today. Right. But, uh, so listen, I'll I'll never do that again, all right? Never feign sickness so you can stay home and watch some major sporting event. Well, did I really love the Lord, or was I interested in major sports? And so, they were exhorted to remember their past. They're also exhorted here to consider their future. Look with me at verse 5. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. So their future is one that's not such a bright prospect. God is saying, I'll shut your church down unless you repent. All right? So this is some very interesting language here. We'll remove thy candlestick, okay? So this is the, the, the word for remove here is krino. It means that God will bring judgment upon the church. It's used over in chapter 6. So let's just go over there for a moment and look at how this verb is used. Chapter 6, verse 14. And the heaven departed as a scroll when it was rolled together, and every mountain and island were what? Moved out of their places. So there is a significant moving in judgment. And so the climatic uh, events in the book of Revelation to the unbelieving world in the future is that mountains will collapse, islands will sink, um, the, the heavens will have supernatural events taking place. And this is the idea here of moving in judgment. And God says, I will take away your local church. Now, the 20 years that I was up in the Concord Pleasant Hill area, we had many people that came to our church and joined, and their comments went something like this. Man, we are so glad that we finally found you guys. We have been looking for five years for a church to go to. And man, we were in this church, and then about a year into it, we realized that just doctrine's not right. Philosophy of ministry is not right. And people would come from an hour away. We had people coming from Livermore. We had people coming from Castro Valley that valued their local church and were excited to be a part of that local church because they found a church that was teaching the truth. Now, I know I've already told you this story, but 
since I'm over 40, I'm going to repeat another story, right? And it goes like this. Uh, on a Monday morning, I'm over at uh, Windsor Rosewood Care Facility, and I'm doing an activity with the seniors in the activity room. And here comes a little uh, senior lady rolling her wheelchair down the hallway, and as she gets to the activities room, she comes rolling into the activities room. She says, I know that. That's the gospel. I haven't heard that in years. And she parked her chair. She was so thrilled to hear the gospel. Do we become complacent with what we have? What we have is a wonderful thing. It's a great treasure that God has given to us. Let's do all we can do to keep it that way. But consider what it would be like if you didn't have this local church. Uh, now, isn't that kind of the theme of the movie, It's a Wonderful Life? George Bailey has to consider what life would have been like for all of his family if he didn't exist. Uh, his brother would have died, all those soldiers would have died, and, and blah, 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 and Zuzu's pedals were in his pocket after all, right? But um, what would it be like if you didn't have your local church? Would there be a Christian school? Would there be an Awana ministry? Would there be a testimony for the gospel of Jesus Christ in our neighborhood? Would you have the friendships that you have? And so consider the future. What would it be like if God removed your candlestick, removed your, the church? So this is a quote from um, the life of, uh, and work of Paul uh, written by a scholar by the name of Far, and this is what he says. The church of Ephesus lost its candlestick, and it has been for centuries removed out of its place. The squalid village which is nearest to the site does not count one Christian in its population. There is a temple there, but it's in a mass of shapeless ruins. Its harbor is a reedy pool. The bitter booms amid its pestilent and stagnant marshes and malaria and oblivion reign supreme over the place where the wealth of the ancient civilization gathered around the scenes of its grotesque superstitions and its most degraded sins. Ephesus as a city went into judgment and God even took the city away. But what a blessing the church could have been to the city of Ephesus. What a blessing it is, or what we should be, to our community. I know through the years that we have been very active and very concerned about community benevolence, trying to meet needs in our community. Um, I think we're out of them now, and maybe the county will provide us some more. But have you seen or heard of the fact that in Hollister you just can't find the at-home test kits? All right. um, we were able, uh, because the county provided them, we were able to give them away and to meet needs. And so people um, said, hey, I've got a friend. Could we have one or two? Uh, I think we maybe gave away three or four kits like that, but the rest of them went to our school families and to our church families. Um, but what if you didn't have a local church to do that kind of thing? 
There's lots of good works that we can do in our community. So we're exhorted to consider our future. Will God keep a local church in a community if it has left its first love? At some point, it will go away. It may hold on for a decade or two, but at some point, it will die. And I don't know that we'll be able to predict on a calendar with a date and a time uh, when that happens, but it's happening in America. What was that number, 3,500 or 3,800 to 7,000? 150 churches a week closing? We have something special. Let's work to keep it. So the third thing then, and I've forgotten to go through my PowerPoint slides. There we go. We're exhorted to remember our past. Uh, we're exhorted to consider our future. And then the last one, um, we're exhorted to correct our, and it went off the screen, but that is our present, all right? So let's look at this one. Let's go back to verse 5. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, that's the past. Um, or I will remove your candlestick out of its place, that's the future. But what do we do in the present? Well, verse 5 says, and repent and do the first works. Okay? Except thou repent. So this, once again, is an imperative verb. It's an urgent appeal for an instant change of attitude and conduct. That's what repentance is. Um, now, I'm not talking about a repentance which leads to salvation. This is repentance that a Christian is supposed to have, that a church is supposed to have in their life. We're already saved. We don't need to repent and get saved again. But we do need to repent of our attitudes and our conduct before it is too late. God says, or else. So, as far as an individual salvation is concerned, listen to what C.S. Lewis wrote in his autobiography, Surprised by Joy. Quote, um, he spoke frankly of his mother's death, his study in snobbery at Oxford, World War I, his father's death and his rediscovery of self, and at last in his room at Oxford in 1929, he wrote, I... Gave in, it admitted that God was God, and knelt and prayed, perhaps that night the most dejected and reluctant convert in all of England. The prodigal son at least walked home on his own feet. And so there is a repentance which leads to salvation, but then there's a repentance which leads to a change of attitude and of conduct. Um, there are many pastors who look at churches and study them, you know, have seen turnaround. And all of these pastors um, that I will share here in just a moment, uh, they did a group study and found out that there were six common traits of churches that were a self-amending kind of church. They were plateaued, they were declining, um, and they looked at their situation and they self-amended and listened to what the Spirit of God was saying to them. And these were six common things 
that these pastors were very careful to give the glory to God for. But these were the six things. They became highly intentional about starting new groups. They led the church to a culture of inviting people. They began new member classes. They began a major community ministry. I think this is one that I have been emphasizing, but they began to pray for the lost and unchurched by name. For many of the churches, this type of praying was a first. Most of them attested that it seemed awkward at first, but it later became a part of their great commission culture. So a few weeks ago, I asked you to take one of these lists. I think they're on the little uh, credenza by the double glass doors on your way out. It's called five, uh, Find Five and start praying for five people and then get together with another Christian in the church and then maybe they have five or maybe you have some names in common and start praying for those names. And so um, I just kept praying and I think my list is up to 17 people now. And so I'm going to just see God work through that list. I'm going to see people come to know the Lord as Savior. But we need to be praying for souls in Hollister, California. And then the leadership of the church focused on the possibilities of what God can do. And so the best days, according to the book of Revelation, uh, for any church are in the future. And the best days for Calvary Baptist Church are in the future. And so if we have some things that we've done right, let's remember them and keep on doing what is right. Amen? Stay true to the gospel. Um, let's remember that, yes, churches are closing down. Churches are dying. Um, so let's remember that that's a possibility. But so let's be a self-amending church. Let's evaluate. Let's, let's have conversations. But... Let's listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying to the churches. And so, in closing, if you would, look at verse 11 of chapter 2. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Um, We go down uh, to verse 16. God, once again, is talking to another church, Pergamos. He says, repent, um, repent. Do this, but then look at verse 17. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Um, And it just keeps on going through. 29, uh, the last verse in chapter 2. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. And then you can go to the church at Sardis. You can go to the church in Philadelphia in chapter 3. You can go to the church of Laodicea and Verse 22, the end of chapter 3. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. So tonight, let's ask the Holy Spirit of God to teach us. And let's be willing to listen to what he says to our local church. And so, each church must listen.